Hello and welcome to this episode of The Road to Net Zero, a podcast from the Advanced Propulsion Centre. My name is Clem Silverman and this episode is all about an ultra-high-performance electric sports car, said to be a major success for UK clean automotive innovation. It's a groundbreaking electric supercar designed and manufactured in the UK. Ariel's Hypercar is designed in partnership with a consortium of innovative UK SMEs. The car demonstrates the clean tech possibilities of UK businesses and was made possible thanks to investment channeled through the ABC's Collaborative Research and Development Programme. Here's transport and energy journalist David James who went down to Ariel to find out more. If you love the thrill of high-performance cars, you'll know all about the Ariel Atom. It's a stripped-down adrenaline machine designed to accelerate, corner and brake as fast as possible. Well, if that's your kind of car, you'll be very excited to hear about the Aerial Hypercar. It's been designed to outperform not just the Atom, but any other internal combustion engined road car. Talk about ambitious, and talk about pushing automotive engineering to the limits. Oh, and did I mention it's battery electric? The Hypercar project, funded by the Advanced Propulsion Centre, has helped deliver some world-leading technology that has already become a fantastic commercial success in some perhaps surprising areas. We went along to Somerset to talk to Simon Saunders, the director of the Aerial Motor Company, to find out more. Simon, for those people that don't know Aerial, just tell us about the company. The original company started way, way, way back in 1871. Behind me you can see what we'd call a penny farthing or an ordinary, which is the first ever production vehicle, not just the first ever aerial. We resurrected aerial in 2000 with the Aerial Atom, which is a lightweight, very high performance sports car. And we now also make the Aerial Nomad, which is an off-road version of the Atom, if you like, and also the Ace motorcycle. I think most people will recognize the Aerial Atom. It's what you've become super famous for. For those people that don't own one or follow Aerial that closely, who buys them, what do they use them for? I suppose the average owner is somebody who wants an interesting performance car, which is very much about the driving. They're all road registered, but you can take them onto the track and do track days with them. And really it's all about lightness in our, in, in our vehicles. So the performance comes from extreme lightness rather than extreme power. And we try and continue that through all the vehicles we make. Talk about the hypercar. We've been looking at EVs for a long time. There was an EV Atom years and years and years ago. The problem is the technology wasn't developed sufficiently for us and it was also very expensive. So the idea behind hypercar was for us to be able to look at a zero emission, low carbon vehicle, which would have the performance capabilities that we're already really well known for. So Hypercar started with a feasibility study through something called Niche Vehicle Network, which is funded by Innovate UK as well. It then went on to Hypercar One project, which involved us, Delta Motorsport and Equipmake. That went into Hypercar Two project, which involved the same partners plus GKN, Johnson, Matthew and Semicron. And it's been taking our ideas for a very high performance car from basically a clean sheet of paper up to 
a working prototype becoming ready for production. People are already talking about the astonishing performance of electric vehicles, the handling, the acceleration. Is there any more to add? From our point of view, the interesting thing is that now an electric car will outperform an internal combustion engine car. So for us, it's, it's a progress in terms of performance. They are incredibly complicated vehicles because the technology is new, but the hypercar is also a vehicle in the widest sense of the word to actually build the supply chain in the UK, promote the technology, and also go into other higher volume vehicles because as a small manufacturer, we make about 100 vehicles a year. We're not gonna change global emissions on our own, but the fact that the technology that is developed within Hypercar can be used on other vehicles, it's already being used on coaches and buses, means that actually, although we're a tiny, tiny company, we're that first stepping stone for the other SMEs to be able to take the technology and develop it further and sell it into a much wider market. Yeah, that's something that I've really taken from talking to two of the other partners already, GKN Automotive yeah. and Delta Cosworth, about, because like a lot of people, as a layperson, you kind of think, oh, we, we know about electric cars yeah. and we know how to make them and they're all very high tech. And, and, yeah. But what they, those other two partners were stressing is we're right at the beginning of this technology. There's so much more room for innovation yeah. and, and betterment. Uh, we've learned it's incredibly complicated. I mean, given that our industry has a 110, 120 years experience of the internal combustion engine, the technology is very new. It's moving very fast. I mean, interestingly, if you look at the quadricycle behind me, which is 1901, the same thing was happening then. The technology was moving incredibly fast. So something that was invented in March was becoming out of date by September. And actually, that is one of the problems we've had with the technology because it is, it is moving very fast. But the hypercar has not only given us the ability to manufacture a very high-performance, uh, unique sports car, but it's informed us about our other cars, so cars like the Atom, the Nomad, will become zero emission in the future and by 2030. So there's, there's been an enormous amount of learning within the project, both for us and the partners. And, I, and I, one of the important things behind funding these projects is not only to develop the technology, but to ensure that that technology stays in this country and we build a supply chain in this country because we're really good at this stuff and we want it to stay in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a couple of points there that you've touched on. One is about the advanced proportion centre money is, is public money. Yeah. Why should UK taxpayers fund this kind of project? What do we get yeah, out of it as a nation? It's, it's on the face of it, if you look at it with the, the, the millions of pounds that have gone into the hypercar project, you, you could well ask the question, why are, we funding, why are we funding a low volume sports car? But it's actually much bigger than that in financial terms in emission savings. So for instance, as an example, if the motors go into a coach or a bus, which they are, the emission savings, as you'll probably imagine if you've ever followed a diesel coach along a country lane, the emission savings are enormous. So there's a return in terms of emission savings, an enormous return there. But in terms of the technology, the battery technology is going into other vehicles, it's being taken up by 
major OE manufacturers. The return on investment by Advanced Propulsion Centre, Innovate UK, in the automotive industry is, I believe, something like 15 to 20 pounds back for every pound invested. So it's, it's not as simple as us making some sports cars. It's a much wider picture than that. It's also to do with retaining jobs. So a, a company like GKN, who are partners in the hypercar, their focus until a few years ago has been entirely on in, internal combustion engine components and drivetrain. If they don't move to zero emission vehicles, there's an awful lot of jobs at stake there. So, so retaining those jobs in the UK is really important as well. So there is, from seemingly a high-performance sports car made at very low volume, there's a much bigger picture and a much bigger return to UK PLC. Now, the, the electric car industry, really Tesla, have, have done a huge effort in, in turning what was a fairly niche product into yeah. a mainstream product. So there's, there's Tesla and, and then there's Asia, where a, a lot of the battery motor technology seems to be residing. Where's the competitive space you see the U UK carving out within this, this globally competitive environment? Well, I mean, I, I guess on a sort of very base level, I mean, batteries are incredibly heavy things. They're very expensive things, but moving them around the world is obviously adding to their emission footprint. But there's, there's also a lot of investment going on in making batteries in the UK. We are very good at this stuff. We're very good at battery systems. We're very, very good at coming up with new technology. We're very good at making more efficient motors. We're very good at designing motor cars. So it's important that that technology is anchored in the UK and that we make use of it. I mean, that there's an opportunity for the UK to be a world leader in this technology. And, and we need to grab hold of that and secure it in the UK. And in terms of the APC support, what difference has that made to, to Ariel and the, the partners and I guess the, the wider automotive industry? Simply, we, we couldn't have done it without them. I mean, the, the, most of the partners, certainly the partners who started the project, Delta, who are now Delta Cosworth, um, Equipmake, who are now a public company, were small SMEs with 20, 25 employees. We don't have the wherewithal to spend millions on this sort of project, which is, in essence, quite a high-risk project for all of us. And it hasn't been an easy journey. It's incredibly complicated. So without the funding, the, the project just would, would not have happened. But I, even though our car has only just been announced, and I guess you're seeing it for the first time now, the project has already been commercially successful with the use in other vehicles, the interest, as you pointed out, Delta has become Delta Cosworth, which gives them a much more secure manufacturing base. Equipmake is now a public company with many, many more employees, and they're going to move upwards as well. So actually, although our car is still a development test car, the project's already a, a massive success. And is there any other wider benefits from being involved with the APC that perhaps not just the financial investment side of things? Yeah, I mean, we have, during these projects, we have quarterly monitoring meetings, partly for our benefit, partly for their benefit. 
And that ranges from looking at the technical issues, the risks, the money, and so on and so forth. That's been incredibly helpful. We have, we have a monitoring officer, Dave Ketcher, who's been with us all the way through Hypercar 2. He's ex-Ford, so he's, he's ex-manufacturing. He's been really useful in, in helping keep us focused, I suppose. It's very easy with these projects to think of a new idea and go off at a tangent. And there have been some fantastic ideas that have come out of it and patents that have been applied as well. So their input has been really valuable. It's taken a lot longer than we expected it to. So the project had to be extended. So we're grateful for, to APC and Innovate UK for helping us extend it and helping us re reach a successful end. So I guess we consider APC to be another partner in the project. So they're not just somebody who's writing a check. They are, have been incredibly helpful. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about some of the technology on the hypercar. Just, just explain what yeah. you've done, why it's clever, and well, just explain the car. The current car is four motors, four-wheel drive, so it's got a motor for each wheel. We will be doing a two-wheel two drive version, um, so we'll just have two motors, again, driving each rear wheel. The battery is under the floor on the prototype, we also have the Cat Gen range extender, and it's got a, for us, it's got an all new, very lightweight chassis. I mean, one of, the, one of the principles, as I said earlier on, for us is performance through lightweight. So although it's what we would call quite a heavy car, because an Atom is 500 and something kilos, um, it's virtually nothing compared to a normal car. The hypercar, our aim is 1500 kilos, we're slightly above that in prototype form, but we think we can get down to it. In terms of an EV, that's incredibly light. I mean, most, most of the competition, if you can call it that, is well over two tonnes. So we've been at pains with the chassis, the body, all the parts of the car, motors, battery, to, to make it as lightweight as possible. The other interesting thing in the project, <clears throat> just to make our lives a bit more difficult than they already are, was that we said the car must have a track capability. And this has pushed the technology. It would have been much easier for us if we didn't have that. But insisting on a track capability has pushed the technology to its absolute limit. I mean, it's really made, it's made Delta Cosworth's life pretty difficult because of heat generation and so forth. But actually overcoming those difficulties has resulted in a much more sophisticated called battery system, which in turn means whether it's applied to a bus or a coach or a, another, a different kind of car, means you have got a more efficient battery. So actually, although it's not a racing car, having that track performance has actually turned it into a better car. What's the point from an end user point of view? Is it, is it a concept demonstrator you're going to make one, two, and leave it at that. Or you're going to you're going to sell them. They're going to be aficionados. Are they going to be track people? Is there going to be a, a race series? It is a high performance road sports car. It does have a track capability because of the technology. It's not something as you see in Formula E. You, there are very because of the, the the power drain. It's not something you could use all day long on a track. So it's a different market, if you like, to the cars we make at the moment. So. It's not going to be a cheap car. I, I can't give you a price at the moment, but um, it's going to be cheaper than some 
some hypercars, but it's going to be an expensive car because of the technology. So, it, but it is a car that you could drive from here to the south of France without needing to stop to charge or with a range extender. And I suppose we're not comparing ourselves with Ferrari or Lamborghini or people like that, but it is in that sort of world, if you like. So it's a high performance GT. So it's going to be an interesting journey for us. But yes, it's, it's destined for sale. Now, this is probably a really frustrating question for somebody like you, but everybody's going to want to know, have you got anything around range and acceleration times and top speeds and things like that? Is that anything that we, we're talking about? Range, it very much depends on use. We're, we're looking on battery only, about 150 miles. That comes down a lot if you're using something on track for obvious reasons. Times, the, the biggest problem we have on original test mules was spinning wheels everywhere because it's so powerful. We've now got traction control on it. It will have full torque vectoring, which means the power will go where it's needed and be taken away where it's not needed. We'd hope for sub two second times to 60, probably sub six second times to 100. I mean, it is an immensely fast car. I mean, it is properly, properly fast. Our guiding principle was it had to be faster than an atom, and an atom is pretty fast. We're not overly worried about top speed. We're probably looking at 170, something like that, but it is, our feeling is that top speed is just, it's kind of pub talk, if you like, because of the road use. There's very few places where you can do that sort of speed, or even any racetracks where you can do that speed, in fact. So the other thing, without wanting to sound like a stuck record, is, is weight. The less weight you carry, the quicker you can corner. I mean, in simplistic terms, if you've got a heavy car and you turn a corner, it wants to go straight on because it's carrying a lot of mass forwards. The lighter the car, the quicker you can turn. With the Atom and the Nomad, it's, it's one of the essential ingredients, which is why we, we can beat Lamborghinis, Ferraris, round a track on acceleration quite easily. We can't usually beat them on top speed, but in a performance test, we can usually beat them because it's, it's, it's a bit of a David and Goliath thing, but we're, we're very nimble compared to the, the big supercars and we were trying to entrench that in the hypercar. So, and we actually found we, we've done numerous, numerous, numerous simulations. And the, the, the key ingredient was taking out weight, or as I think Colin Chapman said, just add lightness. It's the quickest way to go fast is to lose weight. So what does that do if you start taking that technology into regular family EVs, making them lighter? What, what kind of benefits does that have? As cars get more sophisticated, they always get heavier. Whether it's a, a Mini or a Range Rover, the more motors you have in it, whether it's opening windows or doors or tailgates, the car will get heavier. So the lighter you can make it, the better. It makes them more efficient. That will use less battery. Batteries can get smaller. As an example, we, we found with our simulations, we could go faster with a bigger battery. But when you put a bigger battery in, you needed more power or you know, bigger motors, whatever. And you're in this kind of circle where actually more power, you get heavier, you need more power and it, and it goes on. So actually you go the other way and try and take weight out. And then there's, there's aerodynamics as well, which we've done an enormous amount of aerodynamic testing with the car. 
Again, the more efficient you can make it, the easier it moves through the air, the less power you need. And this all helps battery, the battery size, the battery weight in that case. I think one of the great things that a company like Aerial can do is, is you make that transition and make it exciting yeah. and take some of that pureness of the excitement and adrenaline yeah. of motorsport into the new era. I think there's just people will just come along with you yeah. on that journey. It's important that vehicles are not going to suddenly become very dull and uninteresting and that a company like Aerial can be zero emissions and also exciting. The day when an EV atom can beat an internal combustion engine atom will be the day that really makes people think about performance cars in a different way. Any final words, anything we've not talked about that you'd, you'd like to mention at this stage? We're incredibly grateful to APC for standing by us, for funding the project. It was a high-risk project for them. Um, it's, it's a high-risk project for the partners. It's an unusual project for the APC, but I guess our thanks go out to them for, for standing by us and seeing it through. It's been, a, it's been a longer journey than we all expected, but we've got there in the end and, and it's paid off handsomely. Simon, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Road to Net Zero. To find out more about how the Advanced Propulsion Centre are helping to accelerate the UK's progress to zero emission transport, visit apcuk.co.uk.